In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we commemorate Saints Martha, Mary and Lazarus, friends of Jesus. It used to be known simply as the Memorial of Saint Martha. Why the change? There had been some confusion over who Mary was. Was she Mary Magdalene? Was she the sinner whose sins the Lord had forgiven? Or was she simply the sister of Martha and Lazarus? The decree of the Congregation for Divine Worship states that the traditional uncertainty of the Latin Church about the identity of Mary has been resolved in recent studies and times as attested by the current Roman Martyrology, which also commemorates Mary and Lazarus on that day. Moreover, in some particular calendars, the three siblings are already celebrated together. Is it a case of doctrine catching up with popular piety? Not entirely. Rather, it's a, a clarification of how Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, is not Mary Magdalene, whose feast day we celebrated a week ago, nor is she the, as it were, publicly known sinner whose sins the Lord had forgiven. They are three different women. Moreover, the Holy Father has no doubt about the significance of each and every one of the three siblings. As the wording of the decree continues, therefore... The Supreme Pontiff, Pope Francis, considering the important evangelical witness they offered in welcoming the Lord Jesus into their home, in listening to him attentively, in believing that he is the resurrection and the life, and accepting the proposal of this dicastery, has decreed that the 29th of July be designated in the general Roman calendar as the memorial of Saints Martha, Mary and Lazarus. From the word go, think of his first apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium. Pope Francis has been reminding all baptized Christians of the importance of evangelization. Evangelical witness. We've to bear witness, and we can learn a lot from coherent witnesses such as Saints Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. In the household of Bethany, the Lord Jesus experienced the family spirit and friendship of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Jesus loved each one of them. Martha generously offered him hospitality. Mary listened attentively to his words. And Lazarus, we're still quoting words from the decree, promptly emerged from the tomb at the command of the one who humiliated death. Each of these saints, 
gives us much material for reflection. Each of them was a friend of Jesus. Each of them was loved by him. Think of Martha. Was she the eldest? She certainly seemed to be the dominant figure in that household. Martha was a, a dutiful homemaker, a doer, active by nature, and perhaps irascible by nature, not inclined to wait around, decisive, first to react to Jesus' coming following the death of her brother Lazarus. But where we first come across her is in St. Luke's account of a particular visit Jesus made to her home. Indeed, the liturgy captures this, this for today's feast day. In the entrance antiphon, we read, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Let us pause to consider what Martha's hospitality must have meant for you, Lord. We are in your presence, Lord, now. We are, we are trying to familiarize ourselves with that scene so many years ago now, and yet very much present to us now today as well. Bethany. Being an itinerant preacher was not an easy life. In Northern European countries, we may complain that we have too much rain. In Palestine, the Holy Land, Lord, where you tread, it's often the opposite. Walking dry, dusty roads under the hot sun must have caused you and your disciples to get weary. Maybe at times it caused you they, your disciples, to come close to exhaustion. We remember of that moment when you stopped by the well, meeting the Samaritan woman, but you had genuine thirst. The disciples had gone off to inquire about food in the local village. It was a tiring business, being a public and traveling preacher. Moreover, proclaiming the truth about salvation and inviting sinners, including religious and political leaders, to repent was a message that did not always meet with a warm welcome. A prophet is never accepted in his own country. Among certain influential people, quite the opposite occurred, in fact. We think of the scribes and Pharisees who opposed Jesus' teaching. Some, like Nicodemus, did quietly seek instruction from you, Lord, but many others were openly hostile to you. Now, while you and I pray, no doubt ideas will come to your mind, my mind, or memories be evoked of times when you received warm hospitality, or perhaps when you didn't. Our lives, our mental processes tend to revolve around ourselves, don't they? We are so egocentric. Me, me, me. Am I happy? Am I being treated well? Am I being ignored? What's more important is for you and me to consider whether or not we warmly welcome Jesus in our lives. Surely we have to confess that there are moments of coolness in our relationship with our Lord. Lord, we ask you for forgiveness. We ask you for your pardon. 
I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for those moments when I've let our relationship drift. I haven't renewed it. You were always ready to listen to me, to talk to me, to prompt inspirations from the Holy Spirit in my soul to fill my soul with your love. But I don't always respond. That warmth is, is sometimes missing. Now, we shouldn't get alarmed if this should happen, but neither should we settle for such apathy. The example of the warm welcome at Bethany for our Lord when so many others gave him the cold shoulder is like a rebuke to us for our own nonchalant approach to prayer and to our Lord's real presence in the Eucharist. Yes, we have a great example in Mary, in fact, of, of love of our Lord, of her breaking the alabaster jar of ointment over him to anoint him and, and wiping his feet with her hair. It's, it's extraordinary in a way. And yet, she was an ordinary woman, showing a lot of love for an extraordinary person. And we should really venerate our Lord's real presence in the Eucharist because he's there with us. We could examine ourselves about the good manners of piety, as St. Josemaria is to call them, the way we acknowledge our Lord's real presence on entering a church or an oratory where Jesus is sacramentally present. Do we genuflect or bow, as the case may be, if we physically, we, we can't make a full genuflection. But do we acknowledge his presence? Do we try to avoid loud conversation in churches? Do we think of our Lord when we're traveling, when we're passing by a church, or where we know there's a, a small chapel, perhaps a hospital, some schools, a nursing home, perhaps? Are we aware of our Lord's presence? Do we, do we storm tabernacles? Or are we nonchalant, indifferent, apathetic? Allow me a small digression. It's a, a story which underlines, underlines how universal our need for affection and hospitality is and how equally universally felt, one could say, is the rejection we can sometimes encounter. Earlier this summer, I joined a group of teacher friends on a week's adventure in some very rocky, not to mention high, and in places sun-drenched mountains in northern Spain. The trip went very well. It's not comparable to walking the roads of Palestine over 2,000 years ago. We had the advantage of internet, of being able to book accommodation in which to stay, and of being able to buy food in the supermarket before we set out on our itinerary. Still, at 2,000 metres or 6,000 feet, mod cons become increasingly scarce, and for certain things you are quite dependent on the goodwill of people you meet. Take water, for example. Have we not encountered a friendly chap on a day trip who was familiar with the terrain, we might have missed a water spring set off from the path that you couldn't see from the, the regular trail. He wasn't a Lazarus figure, he talked too much, but he certainly behaved as a friend. 
yeah, a lovely, outgoing, cheery, friendly fellow. Most staff at hostels and refuges were warm and welcoming, but there was one instance in which we had to celebrate Mass on a rock in the open air because no other facility was offered. That suited us Irish people fine. It was an opportunity to connect with generations past who could not gather to worship indoors. Nevertheless, by way of stark contrast, our hearts melted at the warm welcome we received from the manager of a refuge who led us into the dining room to say Mass and brought his statue of Our Lady with the Child Jesus, Our Lady of Snows, as she is known as there, to crown our ad hoc altar. It had been two years since the priest had last said Mass there, he said, and he was very happy to have a priest back to say Mass again. Thank God his kind act of service was not exceptional. There was no shortage of Martha-like figures, women who welcomed us warmly, who served us generously, and who worked tirelessly to restore energy to the many hillwalkers who availed of their hospitality. At one point late in the evening, I remarked to a woman who was sitting down for a brief moment of respite. A lot of work, mucho trabajo, to which she exclaimed with a smile, mucho trabajo, poco descanso, a lot of work and little rest. It was impressive, really. Such work at sea level is already admirable. At a mountain refuge at 2,000 metres, it's heroic. From what I could make out, she was there with her husband. They had young kids. He was feeding the child. She was feeding us together with her sister. It seemed to be kind of a, a family operation. But, you know, anyway, a seasonal thing. Yet hospitality at sea level is also heroic. Every act of conquering one's egoism, of giving of oneself disinterestedly, disinterestedly in service of others, is a heroic deed. Hence, in the Collect for today's memorial, we pray, grant we pray, Almighty God, that the example of your saints may spur us on to a better life, so that we, who celebrate the memory of saints Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, may also imitate without ceasing their deeds. It's important to acknowledge the value of ordinary deeds of service in everyday life. If one in one mountain refuge that these teacher friends and I were in, there was a sign promoting mountain expeditions to 8,000 meters. The subheading said, for addicts only. Not everyone will sign up for a trip to Everest Base Camp, something like 24,000 feet, nor need they. Ordinary life has sufficient gradient of its own. For one who is elderly or ill, the simplest tasks or activities can be an uphill climb. In a totally different context, back in Ireland, I was very impressed by the kindness of staff in a supermarket towards an elderly man who wanted to buy a particular brand of mustard. Not only did they stop what they were doing and get it for him, 
but when he spotted a shampoo brand that suited him, they pointed out that it was cheaper to buy the bigger bottle because there was a special offer that week. Now, it was just impressive to, to see them um, adapt their routine to, to facilitate this man who, you know, obviously aroused their sympathy, but, you know, it was with generous hearts, with, with understanding, with kindness, with charity that they did everything. And so naturally, it seemed, without fuss, with a smile. Now, much of the above may seem far removed from the lives of Martha, Mary and Lazarus, but it isn't. Christ is our model, and when we find it difficult to imitate him directly, it can help to look at the lives of the saints. If Christ is present in the poor, the elderly and the sick, he is also present in the lives of the saints and in the lives of ordinary people who perform good works. All good works have their origin in God. And staying close to Jesus, who is, after all, God's Son, welcoming him warmly, we receive more grace. What the lives of Martha, Mary and Lazarus teach us is how close Jesus can be to us. How accessible is the life of grace if we are prepared to welcome Jesus as friend. In the village of Bethany, Jesus could rest and recover his strength because he felt truly loved and didn't have to face those who were always trying to twist his words. In the words of St. Josemaria, we enter that house in Bethany, a resting place always open to Jesus. There our Lord has a home, as I have so often told you, a home like the one he should find in our hearts, in our centres, in our tabernacles, because we treat him well, and we will strive to wait for him and love him more each day. Bethany moves me. It has always moved me. Let's turn again to Martha. Martha of Bethany. I'm following here some considerations put together by Father Edward Bowra. It's easy to imagine her emotion, he says, when Jesus accepted her invitation. But her joy would also have been accompanied by a certain anxiety. She wanted the master's stay to be as pleasant as possible, so she quickly started preparing everything as well as she could. After Jesus and his companions greeted Mary and Lazarus, they quickly found themselves at home. Soon, Jesus begins to speak. We don't know the topic of the conversation, but we do know that Martha's sister Mary was sitting at his feet listening intently to his words. Meanwhile, Martha was busy trying to treat our Lord as he deserves. Following the local customs, she wants to give Jesus the best, clean water for his feet, oil to anoint his hair. She wants to make sure the different dishes arrive when they are warm and that nothing is missing. It is her way of expressing love for our Lord, but time seems to be running short. She can't get to everything, and there are still so many things she has to prepare. 
She hurries from place to place and becomes more and more anxious. Martha, indignant on seeing her sister's passivity, thinks that if her sister were helping her, everything would be much easier. The moment comes when Martha can no longer contain herself and she breaks into the conversation right in the middle of it, addressing the master directly. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha is a woman with a determined and noble character. She expresses her feelings clearly and forcefully. On another occasion, she will have no qualms about reproaching our Lord for his absence. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And now she is quick to interrupt our Lord and express her dismay in everyone's presence. Martha, continues Father Edward, could have disguised her predicament, her unease. She could have discreetly reproached her sister, trying to ensure that no one else noticed. Instead, she decides to address the master directly and even feels she has the right to criticise Jesus. In any case, her request seems a reasonable one. Any one of us would have done the same. Perhaps those present might have found it an unwelcome intrusion a minor concern when much more important topics were being discussed, but possibly more than one would have wondered what Mary was doing just sitting there without helping her sister. Martha's agitated request is answered by Jesus' calm voice. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion, which shall not be taken away from her. The Gospel has recorded for us our Lord's kind response. Jesus repeats Martha's name twice, showing the affection he had for her. It is a reproach filled with love, helping her realize something she had overlooked. Why does Jesus reproach Martha if her only concern is to serve her guests? Because she considered what she was doing as the only essential thing, Pope Francis said. That is, she was too absorbed and worried about the things that needed to be done. In a Christian, works of service and charity are never separated from the main source of each action of ours, that is, listening to the word of the Lord, being like Mary at the feet of Jesus, with the attitude of the disciple. And the quote from the Holy Father ends there. Father Edward says, Jesus understood Martha's problem. That is why he didn't ask her to change externally, to leave everything she had in hand and sit down and listen. The change he asked for was above all internal, inviting her to carry out her chores with a different attitude. The evangelist's narrative ends here, but we can imagine how the scene continued. Perhaps Mary feeling supported by what Jesus had said, would continue to sit at his feet. Martha, in turn, surely continued serving, but with a completely different outlook. She would have carried out her tasks while striving not to miss a single word that came from the Master's lips. She would have remembered who she had close by and for whom she was working. She had learned the true meaning of her chores. The human person must indeed work, and be involved in domestic and professional occupations, but first and foremost he or she needs God, who is the inner light of love and truth, Pope Benedict says, 
Without love, even the most important activities lose their value and give no joy. Without a deeper meaning, all our activities are reduced to sterile and unorganised activism. And who but Christ can give us love and truth? End of quote from Pope Benedict. The change of attitude that Jesus asked of Martha and of each one of us is only possible through love. It is not simply the effort to put more attention or care into our daily tasks. Rather, it is realizing as we work that God is looking at us with love. Then our work becomes an act of constant love, a continuous I love you that goes beyond what we can say with our lips or our thoughts. Words are not needed. St. Maria says, because the tongue cannot express itself. The intellect grows calm. One does not reason. One looks. And the soul breaks out once more into song, a new song, because it feels and knows it is under the loving gaze of God all day long. I know it was a, a long passage from Father Edward who entitled his piece, As in a Film. But I like his take on how Martha learned from Jesus' mild rebuke. She overcame, perhaps, an initial reaction of injured pride and indignation to amend her behaviour and develop greater presence of God, a more contemplative spirit, to also opt for the good portion, the better part. Yes, professional work, household work, any kind of noble activity carried out joyfully for love of God and our neighbour is totally compatible with living with a contemplative spirit. Indeed, in the prayer over the offerings for today's memorial, the celebrant says, As we proclaim your wonders and your saints, O Lord, we humbly implore your majesty that as their homage of love was pleasing to you, so too our dutiful service may find favour in your sight. As their friendship grew, the three siblings also came to deepen their veneration of Jesus. St. John tells us that it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Our Lord responded to this veneration for us, John tells us, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him out of sleep. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And Jesus came, found Lazarus already in the tomb four days. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary, because Bethany was just two miles away, to console them concerning their brother, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary sat in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, 
I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, he who is coming into the world. This is a remarkable act of faith. It is an act of faith from the same woman who had received a gentle yet firm fraternal correction from our Lord about not letting anxiety about everyday concerns take away her, our contemplative spirit, prevent us from devoting ourselves to the one thing necessary, loving Christ, loving God, and receiving his love in the first place so as to be able to return it. Well, there are many more things we could say about Martha, Mary and Lazarus. We know, of course, that Jesus wept over Lazarus's death, that eventually he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with bandages and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Well, all of us in some ways are bound, bound by our earth-bound view of things, our horizontal vision. Let's ask for the grace to look up, to have the faith of Martha, the devotion and piety of Mary, the docility, obedience of Lazarus. In the prayer after communion, we pray, may the holy reception of the body and blood of your only begotten Son, O Lord, turn us away from the cares of this fallen world, so that following the example of Saints Martha, Mary and Lazarus, we may grow in sincere love for you on earth, and rejoice to behold you for eternity in heaven. And of course, we ask this prayer through Christ our Lord. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.